The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Moreno. You're in for a real treat this hour. We're going to be joined by one of my all-time favorite broadcasters and all-time favorite people, Richard Bay. He's going to join me in just a uh, two minutes and we'll uh, chew the fat on some of the news of the day and uh, talk about what New York's like these days as opposed to when Richard lived here. Like so many New Yorkers, Richard has fled to Florida. We'll see if he has any regrets. Meantime, speaking of New York, if you had any doubt about how far Governor Andrew Cuomo's star has fallen, look no further than the criminal case of an identity thief. Even a convicted identity thief didn't want the taint of disgraced former governor Andrew Cuomo rubbing off on him. Guy Cuomo, who was sentenced last week to 45 months in federal prison, got so concerned about it at his trial last year that he pushed his lawyer to get the judge to let the jury know that he had nothing to do with the disgraced three-term governor. That's what the Times Union reported. So the judge said there are people out there that would associate that somehow hold it against him. I mean, it's completely irrational. Obviously, Andrew Cuomo resigned last year amidst a whole bunch of scandals, including alleged sexual harassment, a cover-up of COVID-19 deaths, and a variety of other issues. A prosecutor apparently had no objection to the idea of informing jurors that Guy Cuomo had no relation to Andrew Cuomo. It wasn't clear, based on the Times Union reporting on this story, whether the judge actually gave that instruction to the jury. Guy Cuomo is facing this lengthy prison rap after getting convicted last November in an alleged identity theft ring that personal information of New Yorkers was taken from the New York State Department of Labor. Uh, Guy Cuomo's not from New York, he's from Maryland, and he and his co-conspirators would apply online for unemployment insurance using details obtained from a company where he worked, which researches debtors on behalf of collectors. Apparently, this is a scheme that affected about 200,000 people across the country. Crooks involved in it made nearly a million dollars off the scheme. Really something. All right. Richard Bay joins me next. We'll chat about a whole bunch of issues. I'm looking forward to taking your calls as well at 1-800-848-WABC. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morning. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. The race for Congress in the 10th Congressional District, which includes New York, Manhattan and Brooklyn, is just fascinating. First of all, there are about 13 candidates. This is the, uh, the seat that Bill de Blasio was initially running for, and his name's still on the ballot, even though he's withdrawn. You have Congressman Mondaire Jones running there, former Congresswoman Liz Holtzman. You have uh, Assemblywoman Yulee New, Councilwoman Carlina Rivera, Assemblywoman Joanne Simon. It's a lengthy, lengthy list. There's a couple of things about this race which strike me as worrisome. One, the fact that whoever wins this race is probably going to win it with a minuscule percentage of 
of the vote. Someone could win this race because of the sheer number of candidates involved here. They could win this race with 15 to 20 percent of the vote, maybe even less. Now, think about that. That would mean, and if you win the Democratic primary in this district, that's tantamount to winning the election. That would mean that even though 80 percent of Democratic primary voters might find a candidate so objectionable that they would never want that person representing their party, that person could still slip in with a plurality. For instance, it's not inconceivable that the only Hispanic candidate in the race, Carlina Rivera, if she's able to solidify most of the Hispanic support in the district and all of the other non-Hispanic candidates divide the vote, that she could slip in with a plurality. If there was ever a textbook case as to why we need ranked choice voting, it's the 10th Congressional District. You're about to see someone go to Congress in one of the most important congressional districts in the state even though they're opposed by the majority of people that live in their district. This is madness. This is not how democracy is supposed to work. And I hope this is a wake-up call for the members of the state legislature and the members of the House of Representatives to consider ranked choice voting in congressional elections. The other thing that I find so objectionable about this race is the fact that Dan Goldman has ads on television every eight seconds. He's trying to buy this election. Now, it's his money. The Supreme Court has ruled he has the right to spend as much much as he wants. But not only do I think this is incredibly unfair to the other candidates, I think this is unfair to the voters. To have one candidate who happens to have been born wealthy be able to totally outspend and dwarf the messaging of all of the other candidates in the race is completely undemocratic. I mean, if you're a voter and you only know of one candidate in the district because that's the only one that can afford to run this kind of TV commercials, what sort of solution is that? Now, I'm not blaming Dan Goldman for that. He's playing the game as it's the rules are written. But to me, this is not only a wake-up call for why we need ranked choice voting, but why we need to do something about campaign finance. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. I received an SMS text message yesterday from my friend Joey Falco. Now, Joey's a friend of mine. I've known him a few years now. Great guy. Friends with he and his wife, Cynthia. I've been over their house for dinner. been out to dinner with them. We actually went to Italy together. Not just, not just us, but we went as part of a larger tour group. Great folks. Wonderful folks. And Joey said to me, I hope you had a great trip to Greece. And I said, Joe, I didn't go to Greece. And I had an idea of where he had heard this. And he said, oh, I could have sworn that courteously was said that you went to Greece. Well, I am consistently amazed at how people still believe whatever it is that courteously was says about me. But one issue that Curtis is right on the money. And I think this might be one of those issues. And it's difficult to tell with Curtis because I don't know if his emphasis is due to shtick or sarcasm or if it's actually sincere. But I think this is one of those issues where Curtis, my wife, Chuck Schumer, and I are all on the same page. And it all has to do with the the spotted lanternfly. Have you seen these little buggers? These spotted lanternflies are an invasive bug that are harmless to humans, but they are destroying plants, they're destroying trees, and they're incredibly destructive not only to uh, plant life in New York State, but to the broader economy because of everything that could be lost here. So 
Senator Schumer is calling for $22 million in federal funding to stop these spotted lanternflies. Curtis did a whole thing yesterday all about uh, going to war with the spotted lanternflies. My wife is on a squishing rampage. She is trying to squish as many of these bugs as possible. I don't know where Schumer expects to get $22 million sort of materialized out of thin air from from the federal government. If he could do it, more power to him. But in the meantime, while we're waiting for that $22 million, I would encourage you to do what my wife is doing and go on a squishing tour. Look for these spotted lanternflies and start squishing them. Save the trees. Save the plants. Beam me up! To be continued. Other side of midnight. 77 Local spotlight. If you've seen my less than impressive physique, you probably have a good idea of my fondness for bagels. I really enjoy bagels. Give me a good whole wheat bagel, a pumpernickel. See, what I do, even though bagels are just awful for you, what I do when I have a bagel, I try to find the darkest bagel I can because in my mind that means that there's wheat and there's grain and I feel like it's a little healthier than just eating a plain bagel or an everything bagel or I love a good egg bagel or an egg everything some places call it a super everything bagels are just they're not good for you I think everybody knows that because not only is it basically just empty calories it's just dough even though I scoop the bagel out which makes me feel better about myself I feel like I have a little bit more room for toppings but then you put on a whole bunch of generally unhealthy stuff I mean there are healthier toppings and I try and I use those as well but you're throwing cream cheese on there you're throwing butter on there you're throwing uh, jelly so I try not to have them that often but they are pretty good now, the reason I mention this is because last weekend, the village of Monticello, the self-proclaimed bagel capital of the world, each August, and last weekend happened to be the day for it, or the weekend for it, thousands of people flock to the downtown area to enjoy the annual bagel festival. So it was held on Sunday, and it included a throwback to the tie-dye t-shirts of the 1960s with one bagel store owner, Monticello bagel bakery owner Craig Fleischman, introducing the tie-dye bagel with a schmear of cream cheese. Now, I think this is great. I think it's glad. I'm glad that they had fun. I'm glad that a lot of people came. I visited this area of the Catskills about a year ago, and uh, we had a blast. It's a, a fun place. However, where do these guys get off calling themselves the bagel capital of the world? I mean, who gave them this title? What did they do to earn it? And how is it that places like Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, Staten Island aren't even in contention? So I am calling for the powers that be in Albany to do a true bagel competition, a statewide bagel festival where every county puts forth its best bagel and we have a holy pun intended, competition where we determine once and for all which county on the whole makes the best bagels. Let's assemble a panel to do a blind taste test. Every county sends its best bagels and then that county should be 
the bagel capital of the world and enjoy the substantial tourism dollars and the economic activity that a bagel festival generates. Beam me up! To be continued.